With his unique perspective on the medical legal system, here's Victor Cotton. Welcome to the Law and Medicine Podcast. The most important study ever done on medical malpractice was published in the New England Journal in 1991, and it's known as the Harvard Medical Practice Study. The authors evaluated a random sample of 31,429 medical records from 51 hospitals in New York to determine how many patients had been injured by medical malpractice. And they found that 280 patients met their criteria. They then compared their findings to a statewide database on malpractice lawsuits to determine how many and which of these patients subsequently filed a lawsuit. And they found that of the 280 patients who had suffered malpractice, only eight subsequently sued for malpractice, which calculated to a weighted risk of 1.5%. So even when these physicians committed medical malpractice in New York, a state which has no shortage of attorneys, their risk of being sued was only 1.5%. And if you find that intriguing, listen to this. From the other 31,149 patients, none of whom had suffered malpractice, 43 lawsuits were filed. So there were a total of 51 lawsuits, eight from the group that had suffered malpractice, and 43 from the group that had not suffered malpractice, meaning that only 16% of lawsuits were filed by patients who had suffered malpractice. The other 84% most likely had some type of bad outcome, but it was not caused by substandard medical care. The paradoxical truth, then, is that most patients who suffer malpractice do not sue, and most patients who sue did not suffer malpractice. And as an aside, this is part of the reason that physicians win most malpractice lawsuits, because we didn't commit malpractice. And in case you're wondering whether this study was a fluke, a similar study was done in Colorado about 10 years later, The results were comparable, and that study was published in Health Affairs. Now, based on these simple findings, let's evaluate what the experts have been telling us about medical malpractice. The first thing they tell us is that doctors get sued because we have poor interpersonal skills. We don't communicate, and we fail to empathize. Yes, we're book smart, and yes, we got into medical school when none of these experts could, but we're bad communicators. We can't connect with people, and no one really likes us. And when one of our patients suffers a bad outcome, we don't sympathize, we avoid the patient, and sometimes we even lie to the patient. And of course, this makes the situation much worse. The patient feels abandoned, he can't get answers, and he eventually has no choice but to turn to a lawyer who sues us. That, according to the experts, is how most lawsuits, perhaps every lawsuit, arises. And it explains why risk management lectures are constantly preaching the importance of communication. If we would just communicate, we wouldn't get sued. And we've all heard it said so many times that most of us feel obligated to believe it even though we know that it's probably not true. And indeed, it isn't. 
The Harvard Medical Practice Study found that even when we commit malpractice, we're sued less than 2% of the time. Only one out of every 70 patients who's injured by substandard care and could rightfully sue us actually does sue us. And I'm not saying that's good or bad, fair or unfair. It's simply a fact, and it's worth putting into perspective. We live in a society that has open access to the legal system, a society that has almost no penalty for filing a frivolous lawsuit. A society where juries often award millions of dollars for minor injuries and a society where plaintiff lawyers advertise day and night. Yet despite all of that, even when we commit malpractice in New York, we're sued less than 2% of the time. Make no mistake about it, what you do is phenomenal. And if medical legal experts were honest, which none of them are, but if they were, they'd be shaking their heads in disbelief, wondering how you do it instead of falsely criticizing you for not doing it. And as an aside, no one knows how physicians are so adept at avoiding lawsuits. In my opinion, it derives from the skills we've learned and the trust we've earned over the millennia. But that's just my opinion. The first thing the Harvard practice study demonstrates is that the widely held risk management belief that doctors create an excessive number of lawsuits by mismanaging the doctor-patient relationship in the wake of a bad outcome is not correct. The truth is just the opposite. The second risk management truism that the Harvard practice study disproves is the idea that patient safety is the key to reducing legal risk. It's widely believed that the best way to reduce legal risk is to improve patient safety, because improving safety will reduce the number of errors, which will in turn reduce the number of lawsuits. And taken to its logical extreme, if we can someday eliminate every medical error, we would also eliminate every medical malpractice lawsuit. That's the thinking, and it's so integral to modern risk management that they've adopted it as their slogan. They call it getting to zero. You see, if we can get the errors to zero, then we would also get the lawsuits to zero. So it's all about getting to zero. That's their slogan. And I don't know how you motivate anyone by setting zero as your goal. So I think it's a terrible slogan, but that's not my point today. My point is simply that patient safety is widely viewed as the best way to reduce your legal risk. Eliminate errors and will also eliminate lawsuits. And to the simple mind, it does appear to be logical. But the Harvard practice study found that 84% of lawsuits are filed by people who were not injured by medical malpractice, meaning that they did not suffer a medical error. Now, if 84% of lawsuits are filed by people who did not suffer an error, how can eliminating errors be the key to eliminating lawsuits? It can't. You see, even if we eliminated every medical error and actually got to zero, 
which is impossible. But even if we did it, 84% of lawsuits would remain because those people didn't suffer an error. And eliminating errors therefore wouldn't affect the care that they received and it therefore wouldn't affect their clinical outcome. Those patients would all be in the exact same place they were before we eliminated all of the errors and getting to zero therefore couldn't affect whether they decide to sue us. So even if we do the impossible and have a perfect patient safety record, it would eliminate only 16% of lawsuits. Of course, a perfect safety record is impossible. So let's look at some more realistic numbers. And let's suppose you develop a way to reduce the number of medical errors by 10%. And that may not sound like much, but it's far more than the entire field of patient safety has produced since it was first created out of whole cloth 20 years ago. The Annals of Internal Medicine published an extensive review of patient safety and concluded that a few of the ideas had potential, but that most of what was being advocated had been disproven. So given that patient safety's produced almost nothing of value, an idea that reduces errors by 10% would probably win the Nobel Prize. However, it would reduce the number of lawsuits by only 1.6%. If 16% of lawsuits are filed by patients who suffer errors, and you reduce the number of errors by 10%, then you would reduce the number of error-associated lawsuits by 10%, and 10% of 16% is 1.6%. And I realize I've made some assumptions about the types of errors our idea would prevent versus the types of errors that result in lawsuits, but it's just a hypothetical. And my point is that even if you win the Nobel Prize in patient safety, you would reduce the number of lawsuits by only 1.6%. Now, for comparison, the tort reforms that were enacted in the early 2000s reduced the number of lawsuits by 50%, 5-0. And we can therefore conclude that no matter how much money we pour into patient safety, the laws of mathematics dictate that it cannot be the key to reducing legal risk. And that's true even if patient safety someday produces something of value, which to this point it hasn't. So why then do the risk experts keep saying that patient safety is the answer? Why do they keep telling us that we don't need tort reform, which reduces lawsuits by 50%, that all we need is patient safety, which doesn't reduce lawsuits at all? Because they're in cahoots with trial lawyers. If you go to Capitol Hill and listen to a congressional hearing on tort reform, you'll hear physicians say that the legal system is broken and that the key to reducing the number of lawsuits is to fix the legal system by enacting tort reform. And in opposition, you'll hear trial lawyers say that the excessive number of lawsuits is the result of too many medical errors, that it's the medical system that's broken, and that the key to reducing the number of lawsuits is to improve patient safety. What I want you to see here is that patient safety as a lawsuit reduction strategy is not a scientific position derived from a study 
It's a political position derived from a trial lawyer. And it's therefore not surprising that the biggest patient safety advocates are people who are part of the malpractice industry. The third medical legal idea that the Harvard practice study disproves is that we can reduce our legal risk by apologizing for medical errors. As you probably know, apologizing has been the biggest risk management idea of the past decade, and it's generally accepted that it'll reduce your legal risk by 70 to 80 percent. Of course, that's not only not true, the Harvard practice study shows that it can't be true. And I say that because only 16% of the people who sue actually suffered malpractice. So if I apologize every time I commit malpractice and none of those patients subsequently sue me, which is a huge assumption, but let's go with it, then the maximum number of lawsuits apologizing can prevent is 16%. So how then do we get to the 70% reduction that everyone talks about? Well, you can't get there. Those people are lying. But if you want to try for 70%, then you can't just apologize when you make a mistake because that'll get you only 16%. You also have to apologize when you don't commit a mistake. And because you have no reliable way of knowing which of those patients are destined to sue you, you have to apologize to everyone who has any type of bad outcome, which is absurd. There is no 70%. There isn't even 16%. Apology programs do not and cannot reduce your legal risk. So why then are these programs so popular? Well, who are they popular among? Who's telling you to apologize? Answer, people who make their living from lawsuits, plaintiff lawyers, defense lawyers, and malpractice insurance experts. So here's a question. Why would all of these people promote an idea that eliminates lawsuits and hurts them financially? They wouldn't. So here's some advice. Anytime you see everyone in the malpractice industry promoting an idea that reduces your legal risk, get ready, you got a lie coming. You see, right now, less than 2% of the people who suffer malpractice sue for malpractice. So there are a lot of very viable lawsuits out there, lawsuits that could make all of these folks a lot of money. But the plaintiff lawyers don't know where the lawsuits are, and if they can't find them, then they can't file them. So they come up with a plan to have you admit fault and apologize, which will flush all of these lawsuits out into the open. And what they're advocating here is incredibly dangerous. Because right now, only 2% of the people who could rightfully sue are actually suing. And because you prospectively don't know who the 2% are, if you're going to apologize, you have to apologize to all 100%, which will almost certainly trigger lawsuits from some of the 98% who weren't going to sue. And this is where the math can quickly swing against us. Because let's assume your apology appeases half of the 2% who were going to sue, and they decide to not so that takes you from 2% to 1%, which sounds good, 
But let's also assume that your apologies trigger lawsuits from some of the 98% who weren't going to sue. And let's suppose that 5% of them now decide to sue you, which is a very low estimate. So we would add this 5% to our 1%, giving us 6%. We started at 2%. Now we're at 6%. We've tripled the number of legitimate lawsuits. And in the real world, the numbers would almost certainly be much higher. And that's why people who make their living from lawsuits are telling you to apologize. So that there's no question as to my message today, I'll finish by saying that I do believe healthcare can be improved, and I fully support any established method for enhancing communication, building trust, or reducing medical errors. However, based on the Harvard Medical Practice Study, I can also say three other things. First, that you have a phenomenal ability to avoid being sued. Second, that patient safety does not and cannot reduce your legal risk. And finally, that if anyone's going to apologize, it should be the medical legal community for their relentless dishonesty. Thanks for listening to me today. You have been listening to Victor Cotton, physician, attorney, and founder of Law & Medicine. If you'd like to learn more about us or support our efforts, we invite you to visit our website at lawandmed.com. We offer a variety of online educational courses for which you can earn Category 1 CME credit. Many of our courses can be used to meet your malpractice insurance company's requirements for a policy discount. And if you receive a CME allowance from your employer, we can provide you with a receipt which can be used to obtain reimbursement. This has been a production of Law & Medicine, Hershey, Pennsylvania. All rights are reserved.